Hey, I'm excited tonight. We're kicking off July 4th weekend. Glad you are here. Let me just say this. For all of you who have served our country, thank you for your service. And we celebrate that freedom tonight that uh, you've provided. So thank you for that. It's also a big weekend because for 19 months we have not had coffee. So we have coffee tonight for the first time in a long time. So that's a big deal. Uh, I tell you, we got more criticism for masks and not having coffee than just about anything else through COVID. So uh, if you're watching online, you've got coffee at your house. You've had that, and we are excited that you're watching online. But we have it here uh, tonight. So if you were waiting for us to get coffee before you come back to worship with us, uh, you can come on back because it is here. And now in this series uh, that uh, Delaney talked about and and you had to suffer through the video, this Uncovering the Mystery, we're excited because we do have our, our kids in with us. And so we have the sheet there for the kids. If the sermon gets boring for kids or for moms or dads, you got coloring, uh, you got your crayons in your sheet. But what we're really going to do is we're really going to, we're really going to kind of play detectives and we're going to really try to uncover more of who Jesus is because it really doesn't matter whether you're six or 76, there's more of who Jesus is than we fully understand. And so we want to, we want to just uncover more of the mystery. And so when I was a kid, uh, my favorite cartoon was Scooby-Doo. I don't know if any of you were Scooby-Doo fans. If you're not, don't let me know. That that would hurt my feelings. But I was a big, big Scooby-Doo fan. And so Scooby-Doo sort of went like this every single episode. And I've been watching some old episodes. It's kind of weird when you go back and watch an old cartoon from like, you know, 40 years ago or whatever. It just doesn't look as good. And you think, how in the world did I like that? Uh, but Scooby-Doo was sort of funny. So you have these uh, just group of misfit characters that... Uh, or start out on adventures, but just kind of crazy stuff happens, and they find themselves right in the middle of some mystery. They're playing detectives, and they're and trying to solve the mystery, and it's usually through Scooby and Shaggy and some sort of way that they stumble on a clue, and, and they resolve the mystery or uncover a part of the mystery. In fact, it might be best if we just take a 30-second look at a, a clip from a, th- a Scooby-Doo episode to kind of get our mind right. We got him, Scooby! Scooby-Doo! Nice catch, guys. Now to unmask this phony hide. Now if our calculations are right, it should be Helga, the housemaid. Dr. Jekyll! Yeah, so that's basically how every episode went of, of Scooby-Doo. There was always uh, somebody that had to be unmasked so they could really see who was behind the mystery. And so in, in some way, that's what we're going to do. We're going to really take a look at the Scripture, and we're going to really see more of who Jesus is. And, and again, we're looking at these seven I am statements that Jesus makes. We're going to look at the first of those uh, tonight. So if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and open it up. To, it said John chapter 13. We'll be there. We're going to jump ahead to John chapter 14. So you can do that uh, tonight, and we'll, we'll get going. But these I am statements, here's one of the things that's really important is we're kind of uncovering mystery, the mystery of Jesus. These I am statements, they tell us more of who Jesus is but they also tell us more of what he wants to do in our life. And so tonight, as we move into this 4th of July weekend where we celebrate our independence and we celebrate our freedom, tonight we're going to really take a look at how it is that we can find freedom, how we can really uncover the mystery of freedom uh, in our own life. So let's just jump into the Scripture tonight. If you're, if you're here, let's kind of have a mindset of a detective, and let's really see what the Lord has for us. John chapter 14, starting in verse 1. Now, when we pick up in John chapter 14, this is at the very last days, the last days in the life of Jesus. He is about to go to the cross, and so he makes this incredible statement to his disciples in verse 1 of John chapter 14. He says, do not let your hearts be be troubled. 
And so we have to stop there because if we're investigating a mystery, Jesus makes a statement. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. So what are they upset about? What, they are, what are they troubled about? And so the, the answer to that question, here's one of the things, if you're investigating truth, the Bible uh, always answers the question. Scripture interprets Scripture. So we just have to go look back to John chapter 13, and it's there that Jesus tells the disciples towards the end of John chapter 13, he says this, he says, I'm going away and, and where I'm going, you can't come. He also tells them that uh, many of them are going to deny him and, and desert him. So uh, they are all torn up about this, this statement that Jesus has made, these several statements that Jesus has made. And so that's why their hearts are troubled. Jesus goes on to say, now back to John chapter 14, he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. He said, you believe in God, believe also in me. That's one of the things that's going to be so crucial for these I am statements. Jesus begins this with, with I am. We're going to see in just a few moments the way, the truth, and the life. But when he uses this I am statement, this first century audience would immediately in their mind go back to Exodus chapter 3 where Moses is about to go to Pharaoh, and before he goes to Pharaoh on behalf of the children of Israel, he asks God, who should I say sent me? In other words, God, who should I tell them that you are? And the Lord says to Moses, tell them I am who I am. That's who's sending you. So when Jesus is making these I am statements, they are understanding one thing, that Jesus is God, right? So that's, that, that's a part of the mystery. Now, on, on into verse 2. My fathers, Jesus says, don't let your hearts be, be troubled, right? And then in verse 2, he tells them why. He says, because in my father's house are many rooms. Maybe in your translation it says many mansions. If that were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. We'll dig into that in just a few moments. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. Jesus says this. He says, you know the way to the place where I am going. And so Jesus is trying to pull a question out of them. And we're so thankful for Thomas in verse 5 because Thomas asked the question. You ever been in a situation where somebody was talking and you totally didn't understand what they were talking about, but, but you didn't want to sort of admit that, right? We've all been there. Some of you are like, like right now, I have no idea what you're talking about, but I, I'm, not, I'm just going to let you roll on here, right? So, so Thomas asked a question, and it's a, it's a great question. And watch how Jesus responds. Uh, Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. Jesus just told them that he was going away and, and where he was going that they couldn't come. We don't know where you're going, and so how can we know the way? And Thomas's mind, he's maybe thinking Jesus is just heading to another city and he's going to leave them behind. He has no concept. And then Jesus gives the clearest answer in all of the Gospels. And I think one of the most important verses in all of the Gospels. And here it is. Jesus answered, I am the way the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. This is one of the seven I am statements that Jesus makes, and as we study this, we're going to uncover more of the mystery of who Jesus is, and not only who he is, what he really wants to do in our lives. So let me just, let me just say this, wonder if wonder if Jesus didn't come to make you a better version of you, like you 2.0. Wonder if, wonder if Jesus didn't really come to make you more religious. Wonder if did, 
Jesus didn't come to make you safer, healthier, and wealthier. See, wonder if Jesus did come to make us free. And we're going to see that tonight. And so we're going to kind of uncover the mystery of how we can really experience freedom, which is what we need more than anything else. And so we're going to look at a couple of things tonight. The first thing we're going to look at tonight, which, which I think will be, be helpful, is this. Freedom always comes when we face our greatest fear first. Let me say this to you again. Freedom will always come in your life when we face our greatest fear first. Now, I, w- I want to say this. These last 18, 19 months, moving into almost two years, have been a very difficult time, right? And I think children have experienced more anxiety and more fear in the last two years than I have ever seen in my life, and rightly so, right? Every night on the news, they're hearing reports of the death toll just rising in the country and around the world. Uh, We have seen major cities in our country on fire. We have seen uh, the military lining the streets as people are, are rioting, and on and on. So there's a lot of uncertainty. There, there, there's been times where, where children haven't been able to be in school and haven't been able to see their friends. So they've been, for a period of time, they were isolated from people that they loved and cared about. And so it has created a lot of anxiety. Would you agree with that? We, we've seen unprecedented anxiety and fear, not only among children, but for all of us. So tonight, I think this passage has a lot of traction for us. Because we're not only going to understand a little bit more of who Jesus is, we're going to get a chance to understand what Jesus wants to do in your life. He wants to bring more freedom in your life. So in order to have that kind of freedom, we have to be willing to face our greatest fear first and then watch what the Lord will do. And so what is just our greatest fear? Well, our greatest fear ultimately for, for everybody is just death, Right? So, so look, at, look at John chapter 14. Some of you are like, man, that's really great, Pastor Brady. you got the kids in here and you're talking about this. Awesome. Very relevant. Very relevant topic. No, but I want you to be free, don't you? So I have to be willing to face our greatest fear first. L- let's look back at verses uh, 1 through 3. These are so amazing and have brought so much peace to me in my life. And if you've been around here, I've probably taught on this passage more than, than any other. Uh, partly because it's one of my favorite in the entire Bible. So Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. He said, don't be st- all stirred up, right? That you can have a settled life. And Jesus makes a command. This is, this is an imperative statement. It's don't be so stirred up. You don't have to be so anxious. You can have some peace in your life. And he says, now he's going to say, here's how you can have that peace. You believe in God, believe also in me. So uh, a sense of finding freedom as we're uncovering truth as we just grow in our trust and our belief in who Jesus is, right? And then he says, my father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you and I'm going there to prepare a place for you. Now, now verse 2 has a lot of traction. And if you've been here, you've probably heard me teach on this. When he says, I'm going to prepare a place, that's in the continuing act of preparation. So what Jesus is saying is for over 2,000 years, he has been preparing a home for us. And then he uses a very precise word uh, about heaven. He uses the, the, the word topos. It's where we get our word topography. I'm going to prepare a place, a physical place, Right? Uh, for you. And he says, and at verse 3, and if I go and prepare a place, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. Now, there, there are a couple things embedded in this passage. 
that brings me a lot of peace that, that Jesus is going to come back for me when it's time to take me home, which is an encouraging thing. But in the meantime, while, I, while he is preparing a place for us in heaven, then our lives now are being prepared for that place through the circumstances and situations that we're going through. Does that make sense? As he's preparing a place for us, what's happening right here and now, our lives are being prepared for that. And then listen to what he, listen to what he says, I'll come back and take you to be with me so that you may also be where I am. And so the centerpiece of home is going to be the Lord Jesus being in his, his presence. Now, here's the thing. Here's the point that we're making tonight. If you want to find freedom, you have to face your greatest fear first. And I think the greatest fear for all of us is, is, is death right? It's this overarching fear. And so I think what Jesus does is he obliterates really the fear of death if we really understand this passage. Now, here's the thing. All of us have had silly fears in our life, right? Have you had silly fears? Have you had things in your life as a child that you were afraid of that as you got older, you thought, you know, that was kind of silly. Uh, we have, we have uh, at our house, we have two dogs. Our oldest dog is, uh, is, is a small dog. It's my wife's dog. It's a, it's a moron of, of, a, of a dog. And, and so he gets like, every time she starts cooking, every time she gets over the, the, the stove uh, in the evening to cook dinner, he just freaks out. The sound of her cooking just freaks him out. I mean, he goes completely, completely nuts, right? And so um, Monday night, I came home Monday night. It was a little late. I come home Monday night, and, and she's cooking, and I'm like, where's Max? Because it's usually my job to find Max. He's usually hiding in the corner somewhere. So where's Max? And she said, I don't know. I'll let him out. And so I go out into the backyard to look for our, our, her dog, and uh, he's not in the backyard. We have a fenced-in backyard. He's not, in, he's not in the backyard. We have just one small little hole, a piece of wood that was broken in the fence, and he left. He's gone, right? So he's on the run. He's on the loose. And so it's 120 degrees, and I'm walking through the neighborhood uh, yelling for my wife's dog. Uh, we, we, we found him. Uh, there was a period of time where I was okay either way uh, if, 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 if we didn't. But, you know, when we found him, got him back, and, you know, dinner's ready and whatever, so we eat. And, you know, I'm sitting around thinking, that's kind of a silly fear, right? Dude, you just left, ran across three busy streets. You, you could have been that, that was a silly fear to be afraid of that. And so, but, but it's hard for me to communicate that with him. But I'm thinking about that in my own life. I have some fears that have paralyzed me in my life. You know what? God has a perspective much higher for me than, than me, and, and perhaps these fears are kind of unfounded, and, and perhaps it's time to face our greatest fear and, and, and find some peace from our greatest fear because here, here it is. If you find f- freedom from your greatest fear, say that three times. That's hard to say. If you find freedom from your greatest fear, you can begin to be free from all your fears, Right? And I think that's what's happening here. Here's an interesting passage, uh, Revelation chapter 13. Um, so we have the kids in, and you're going to Revelation. What's next? Song of Solomon. Way to go, Pastor Brady. Really in touch with in touch with our, our our crowd tonight. It meaning the beast opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming or speaking against His name. It's an interesting passage. Here's what the enemy does. He speaks against the name of God, which means he speaks against the nature of God. Does that make sense? That's what the enemy has always done. He speaks against the nature of God. And then here's an interesting phrase: and his dwelling place right, which is heaven, and those who dwell in heaven. So what's the point? Why did I choose to use that passage? I think there are a lot of misconceptions we have about heaven, and so we have a lot of fear about heaven. 
And it's a big overarching fear. And that fear is based on really false beliefs, right? But if you really expose those false beliefs, uncover those false beliefs and see truth, then you can escape those fears and you can have freedom from those fears. Does that make sense? We can really uncover that. And so I think that's really part of the mystery. So what do we do as we look at this passage and we really face those fears? Let's look. Here's what we learn. Heaven is a physical place. That's what Jesus is saying. Heaven is a physical place. Do you understand that? Right? Sometimes we don't really believe that. We, we think heaven is just a spiritual place. Heaven isn't a spiritual place. Heaven is a, is a physical place. I mean, right? And, and so, like when we get a new car, we like a new car because we, we, we had an old car. We know what it was like. This is just a newer, shinier version of, of that. So we're, we're, we like that. That's why in, in, in the book of Revelation, it talks about a new heaven and a new earth. So it's a physical place. That, that helps me. Number two, it's a desirable place, right? A desirable place. Uh, I, I love this, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. I love this passage. This is a helpful passage for me in kind of uncovering this mystery. But as it's written, what no eye has seen or no ear has heard or no man imagined or conceived, what God has prepared for those who love him, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. The Spirit searches everything, even the deep things of God. So what is Paul saying in that passage? This is a lot. Right now, your mind can't even conceive the vastness and the greatness of all that God has prepared for us in this physical place we call heaven. That's pretty powerful. In fact, your eye has never seen anything as, as beautiful. Your ear has never heard anything uh, as sweet. You've never tasted nothing in your life compares to what we're going to experience. In fact, if you've been around here very long, here's how I do the math. Uh, sometimes somebody told me this week, I was talking to someone, and they said, you know what, you say this all the time. And I think they thought that was going to offend me and I, I liked it because I realized most people don't remember anything that you say. So if somebody remembers something that you say, I'll just take that as a positive, right? You always say this. Well, you know, if I have four or five things in my life that you guys remember me saying, then we'll call it a win, right? For, 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 for sure. And so it's just the, the, the math of heaven. Like you can do, you know, you can really look at heaven as, as really a, a math problem to see the greatness of heaven. Because Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Like, let's run the numbers. He said that over 2,000 years ago versus everything we see that God has created for us in this place that he created in six days. At some level, does the math excite you there? What God has prepared for us over 2,000 years worth of days versus what we see in just one week, that's pretty exciting, isn't it? I don't know about you, but, man, that, that excites me. I'm longing for that. I'm looking forward to that, right? And, and here's what Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 23. Do you understand the math and how the math works in our favor on that? Right? It's pretty cool, right? Philippians 1.23, Paul says, I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ. Listen to what he says, for that is far better. Right? So, so heaven is a physical place, is a desirable place, it's a, it's a better place. And then, and then what do we see? This is what Jesus is telling. Heaven is, the, is the, the Lord's dwelling place. Right? And so that's where the Lord is now. And, and can I just tell you this? Here's what I'm learning more and more. Because so many, so many times in my life when I heard people talk about heaven, it was all about kind of seeing their relatives and family members and everybody who's gone on. And, and listen, I, I'm, I'm not dismissing that. That's, that's a great thing. Right? But what I want, want you to see is the centerpiece of heaven is the Lord Jesus, right? Can I just tell you something? No, no one has loved you and done for you what he has done for you. 
and you have never experienced anything in your life like the experience of being in his presence, right? And so when we begin to see that, it begins to, it begins to take some of the fear away, which is the greatest fear. And if, and if God can free us from our greatest fear, then he can start to free us from all other fears that are underneath that. Do you see that? And that's what Jesus is doing in this passage. It's an amazing, amazing passage. Now, here's one thing that we do need to say about heaven, because I think we need to say it in the South. Heaven is not everyone's default setting, right? Do you understand that? Do I need to go into that in greater detail? I think I'm going to start doing that. It'll make message go. If you need more elaboration, just say yes, and I'll do that. Somebody's like, no, please, we got it, right? Just because you're born doesn't mean you're going to heaven. It's only when we're born again, right, that we're going to heaven. And so sometimes people always ask, well, how, how do you know? How can I know for sure if I've been born again? I always say it this way. I always say it this way when it relates to heaven. Here's how I know someone is headed to heaven because they're packing for the trip now, right? I mean, the way they live their life are preparing for that. Uh, this really helps our marriage. I, I go on a, a, a week-long fishing trip every year. I just gave back. My wife loves it. She does. You know, so I, I go, and uh, I'm, I'm so excited about that trip that I, I start packing months. That, that's not even true. I'm packing now for next year. Like, to, to, to be honest with you, I have a section in my garage that I am, I'm just reserving because when I get there, I don't, want, I, I don't want to have forgotten anything. I want everything I need for Daddy Disney World. That's what I call my trip, right? I want everything I need. So I'm, I'm, I'm packing now. Does that make sense? You have, you have something like that? Like, if you're going, I mean, you don't just pack the night before. Like, you're, you're, you're packing way ahead. I mean, she said, I wish you'd get this excited about something else in your, in, in your life. And so that, that's how we know that we're really planning and packing now. So here's the first thing as we uncover this mystery. It's what God wants to do in your life on this Independence Weekend. He wants to bring freedom to your life. And wouldn't your life just be a little bit sweeter if you had a little bit more freedom in your life? Right? And so freedom comes when we face our greatest fear first. Now, number two, watch this. Freedom comes when we ask God our hardest question. Let's look back at verse 4. I love this. Kids, you color and you're filling out your, your thing. Your parents are working hard to keep you quiet. I know. It's a, they're like, is he ever going to be quiet? Like, when does he sit down? Just wait. There'll be somebody out to play a, a piano in just a moment. When that person comes out, then you know it's almost over, right? It's a sign of the times. Look at verse 4. You know the way to the place where I'm going, Jesus says. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? That's a great question. Thomas is the only one who's courageous enough to ask that question. Aren't you thankful for Thomas's question? Because if Thomas doesn't ask the question, we, we, we don't get the greatest answer in the gospel. I mean, verse 6 is as clear a truth as we see anywhere in the gospel. And, I mean, Thomas gets criticized a lot. We call him old doubting Thomas. Man, I'm thankful for Thomas's question because Jesus answers his question with clarity, right? I'm the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So here's the point. Here's the point. If you want to find freedom, everybody in this room, everybody watching online, here's what I believe. We have something that is, that is unsettling to our heart that we are believing. We have a question that we have been wrestling with for a long time, or maybe multiple questions that we have been wrestling with for a long time. And those questions are really keeping us from experiencing some freedom. 
And they can be all over the place, right? Really, God, why evil and suffering? God, why, if you, if you are so powerful and love us so much, why do people suffer the way we do? That's a, that's a really hard question, isn't it? I mean, and on and on and on we, we go with questions. So here's the point. Jesus doesn't avoid questions. He invites them. That's what he's doing with, with the disciples. He's like, you know, you got, I'm sure everybody knows where I'm going. And Thomas says, nope. We don't know where you're going. And he asks, asks the question, and Jesus answers the question. So, so here's, here's the point. I think a part of you experiencing freedom is asking God your hardest question. He doesn't ignore questions. He invites questions. And then listen. Being still long enough to listen and see what he has to say. Because so many times with our question, and there's nothing wrong with asking other people questions that you have about God. There's nothing wrong with that. But I think one of the, one of the steps that we just always seem to skip is when is the last time something that's bothering you or frustrating you or something that you don't understand, when is the last time you just got before the Lord and just asked the Lord that question? And just waited for his response. Now, many times his response will be coming to us through, through his word. I understand that. But the Lord loves to answer questions. And so I think it's an important thing. Now, let's look at the third and final thing, and then we'll be done uh, tonight. Freedom comes, freedom comes when we choose the the versus the a. Now, watch this. You say, well, that, that's the goofiest thing I've ever heard. Maybe. Or, or, or maybe not. The and A are both, uh, as a parts of speech, they are objects. One is a direct object and one is an indirect object. And you're like, well, thanks for the grammar lesson. But I think the key for you and I becoming truly free is the difference between the and A. Most people have an a theology instead of a the theology. Now, here's what I mean by that. Jesus answered, and he's very clear and he's very direct. And he says to his disciples, I am the way. He doesn't say, I am a way. Do you see that? He says, I am the way. He says, I am the truth, and I am the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So part of understanding freedom is having a the instead of an a kind of theology. Now, watch this. Freedom comes in knowing the way, right? Now, I, I enjoy um, I enjoy ways. I, I enjoy as I go on a trip having some clear directions. I can sort of enjoy the ride much better. Like back in the day, right, when, before the internet, when you went somewhere, you're stopping at gas stations and, and you have directions that you've written down. And when, when you didn't really know where you were going, you couldn't really enjoy the ride, and so understanding, understanding this, when Jesus says, I am the way, the only other time that this word way is used in the New Testament, it's in Matthew chapter 7. You ought to write this down, Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. You may remember when he talks about the way, he says, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. He's talking about the narrow way. Now, again, this is not so much about this narrow way, about this, this hard life that we're living of just radical obedience, but what he's saying is he's saying there's not many ways, there is one way, right? 
But the culture doesn't believe that. In fact, Oprah, who is a, a brilliant person, right, has been very successful. Oprah Winfrey said this, one of the biggest mistakes humans make is to believe there is only one way. Actually, she says, there are many diverse paths leading to what you call God. Now, in other words, what is she saying? She says, there are, there are multiple ways. She's saying Jesus is just a way instead of the way. Do you understand the difference? And so if you're going to, to have freedom, it's really the difference between the and a, a direct object or an indirect object. They, 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 they tell me that, that pilots, sometimes, sometimes when there's a plane crash, what's happening is something called spatial disorientation. Do you know that, that a person could be flying a plane and they think that they are climbing when actually they are descending? Spatial disorientation is the inability to determine angle, altitude, or speed. And so we live in a culture where we're, we're kind of confused. We have spiritual disorientation. Do you see that? Like we don't fully see it. We don't fully understand it. And in fact, Oprah's theology is much more the theology of the day. And it makes sense, but we're, we're spiritually disoriented. Because here's the problem. Watch this. Here's the problem. Watch this. We don't like the exclusiveness of the way. That's too rigid. That's too narrow-minded, or that's too dogmatic. That's what people say about, say about truth, right, in Jesus' statement. Are you still with me? You see? But think about this. Truth, by its very nature, has always been rigid. Like in my math class growing up as a student, right, in my math class, t truth was very rigid. It wasn't like a a fluid thing. In about 15 minutes, when you get in your car and you stop at the red light, perhaps here on Thompson Lane and, and, and Broad, uh, that red light is going to be a very rigid set of rules, right? You don't get to determine like what red means for you, and maybe it means something different for somebody else because that generates chaos. All I'm just saying is truth is, has been rigid. Like at the airport, if you're flying for the 4th of July, like when you're landing in a massive jet, I mean, the decision that the pilot is, is taking about uh, which runway to land on is a very rigid decision, right? There is one runway that that pilot, he or she, has is, is, is been given to land on. So in er here, here's my point. You say, do you have a point? Yes. In every other area of our life, we understand that truth is rigid, like Truth in many ways is, is narrow-minded. Two plus two is four, regardless of what we think. And we're okay with that in every other area of our life. Like I'm okay with it when I'm having knee surgery and my surgeon comes in and asks me 18 times which knee he's going to cut on. In other words, he says, you know, I'm not just going to come in here and take a flower. We'll just pick one. And I was super thankful for that. A little freaked out, too. It seemed like he was confused. You see, think about it. Here's really... Here's the problem. With so many people, the exclusive claims of, of, of Christ bother them, but they're not bothered by the exclusive truth claim in any other area of their life. But, but, but can I just give you the summary statement of Christianity? Because don't ever confuse the fact that objective truth is, is rigid. Don't confuse the fact that that makes it mean-spirited or evil, right? Because here's a summary statement of Christianity. Everyone is welcome. Do you believe that? Everyone is welcome. 
The Bible says, whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Number two, everyone gets in the same way, right? Jesus said, I'm the way, right? No one comes to the Father except through me. So the truth claims of, of Christianity, right? Everyone's welcome. Everyone gets in the, the, the exact same way. Now, think about this. Here's the second thing. Freedom comes when we surrender to the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth. John chapter 8, verse 32, what does it say? Then we will know the truth, and the truth will do what? Help me, I'm almost done. It'll set us free. Here's the thing. When Jesus says, I am the truth, watch this. You can't know truth without knowing Jesus, right? He says, I'm, I'm truth. I didn't come to teach you truth. I come to personify truth. I, I am truth. Now, here's the thing about truth. We don't determine truth. My granddaughter's at my house right now. She's staying with us this week. She, she's almost too, she, she thinks she determines truth. We're having really some issues uh, w- w- with that, right? We don't determine truth, but we use a phrase all the time. I hear people say that my truth, I found my truth, right? Well, let me tell you something about my, my truth. I'm talking about me. I'm not talking about you. My truth minus God's truth has always equaled bondage for me, not freedom, right? But when I have my questions plus God's truth, it equals freedom. And kids, you're filling out your sheet or you're done with your sheet and you're done listening. I get it. I was a kid once. I want to give you a definition of truth that's going to seem kind of out of left field, but I want you to get this, right, because you need to know this because you're living in a much different world than your mom and dad grew up in. And so here's the thing about the, the truth. Three things you need to know about the truth. Jesus says, I'm the truth. The truth is for all people. The truth is for all times. And the truth is for all circumstances. Right? Can I tell you that again? Think about this. The truth is for all people. The truth is for all times and in every circumstance. Because here's here's what I hear. I hear from people. You know what? That is the craziest thing that I've ever heard. Pastor Brady, you're you're, you're saying this, that the truth of Scripture is for us today. As human beings, we have evolved. We are so different. And I would say we are, you know, I I get that. You're, you're, You're saying we're changing. I get that. We've evolved. But can I tell you something? God is eternal. You see, there's the answer to that. So what he said 3,000 years ago still is true today because he stands outside of time. Does that make sense? Here's the thing. I want to say this just to try to illustrate this, and I'm losing most of you, but I'm, you know what? I'm still going. Right? In the culture that we live in today, many people have blamed the church, and consequently the Bible, for, for, for some of the prejudice, for, for instance, that we have in the world we live in today. Right? You'll, you'll see that a lot. But let me just tell you something historically. The Greeks and the Romans would not mix the rich and the poor. There was a clearly defined class system. If you were wealthy, you had nothing to do with anybody who was poor and vice versa. So there was incredible discrimination in the ancient world. The Romans and the Jews wouldn't mix races at all. They had nothing to do with each other. Intense hatred and intense discrimination and prejudice. Watch this. The gospel, the gospel correctly understood does not produce division but it actually destroys it, right? 
I mean, let me give you a passage, Galatians 3, 27. For as many of you have been baptized into Christ, in other words, entered into a relationship with Christ, have put on Christ like a garment, there is now no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ. Isn't that an amazing truth from 2,000 years ago? I mean, many people would, 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 would see that and think, you know, I, I, I never knew that was in, in the Scripture. What's my point? What's my point? Jesus is the truth, and truth is always true for all people at all times in every circumstance. Do you see it? So we can trust him. And you won't know the truth without knowing, knowing him. Three things you can do with the truth really fast. Give me 30 seconds. It says I'm six minutes over. It's probably not right. Three things you can do with truth. You can believe it, right? Bet your life on it. You can obey it, surrender to it, and you can spread it. Last thing. Freedom in your life comes when you begin to experience the life. Jesus said, I'm the way, not a way. He said, I am the truth, not a truth, the truth, and then I am the life. I would say the Christian life's like a funnel turned upside down. We surrender our will, we surrender our desires, and we yield to Christ. The funnel's smallest there, and then it opens up to a life of freedom, right? Living for the world, living for your own desires is just the opposite. It's very easy at first, but then it begins to choke the life out of you. See, Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I am the life. I'm what you're looking for. I'm where you're going to find purpose. I'm where you're going to find freedom. I'm where you're going to find meaning. Rick Warren said it this way. It's a, it's a great statement. The path to God is not a religion. It's not a race or ritual. It's not rules or regulations. It is a person. It is Jesus. Freedom comes when we realize that it's not a recipe. It is a relationship. And there are a couple relational rules that I think just transfer across every kind of relationship that we have. See if you think these are true. For you to have a healthy relationship, you have to be honest with the other person. Would you agree with that? Asking you to be honest, be good to do that. Yeah. Relational rules, be honest. You got to have trust. Would you agree with that? And you got to give them some time. Honesty, trust, and time. And I think those relational rules applied to the Lord Jesus will begin to bear the fruit of freedom in your life like you've never found before. Because when it, when it comes to uncovering the mystery of your life, you have experienced hurts. But if you stop and pull the mask off those hurts, there was a God all along who was bringing healing. You've experienced brokenness, and there was a God all along who was shining his light through the cracks in our lives produced by that brokenness. You've been waiting, and there is a God who's unfolding his plan. You've experienced victories, and he's using them as greater platforms for you to make him known. You see, when it comes to freedom, what do we see tonight? We have to face our greatest fear first. As we uncover the truth there, we can be free from everything else. 
as we think about freedom, we have to be willing. Watch this. We have to be willing to ask God our hardest question. He loves to answer. And I wish you'd do that tonight. We serve a God who hears, a God who responds, and a God who moves in the life of his people. Because I'm, I'm, I'm going to say this, and it'll, it'll mess some of you up. You don't, you don't need to hear from me. You don't need to hear from some other person about some of your questions. You need a movement of God on your life. You need to hear from the Father. Ask him your hardest question. And then it all boils down to the kind of faith that we have, and it just comes down to an indirect object or a direct object. Is he the way or a way? For you, is he the truth or a truth? Is he the life or a life? How you answer that determines whether or not you or I will ever experience the freedom that he desires for us to have. One question, and I'm done. Do you know about him or do you know him? Jesus makes a very relational statement. He says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. Knowing about him won't bring you any measure of freedom. It's only when you know him relationally that freedom comes. Father, thank you for this moment in time. Thank you for this amazing I am statement that teaches us so much about you and what you want to bring into our life. Help us to uncover more of the mystery of who you are and what you want to do. Lord, you want us to be free. Help us to begin to step into that. In Jesus' name, amen.